This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. And a few weeks ago, or maybe a month or two ago, we started on the purposed image of the male, of the father. And I will continue on that, and I have been for the past three weeks, but I will continue on that today. And again, my subtitle is this, Jesus Christ, the pattern for every man. That is the purpose image of the male and the husband. And I do want to reiterate what the call is to the family. And the call is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done on the earth. We have to remember God has called us to a purpose, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And as we read in the beginning of Genesis, God has positioned the male in the family just as he positioned Adam to dress and to keep the family, to work it. He positioned the male with responsibility and the purpose to lead and guide the family. As the male of the family is your vocation, it's your career, it's a lifetime of work. For the male, you're to cultivate, to protect, to nurture, to lead, to attend to, to preserve, to watch, and to counsel your family. Guard your family. So like I said, our focus on this portion of family life has been to discover what the purpose image of the male or the husband or the father is. And we are going to continue to endeavor to do that. And so in my study time this time, I, like I said, we've been going over this for about seven months. So I went back to the very beginning. And that was when Minister Martin started us off with purpose. And he took us to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm just going to follow this line of thought all the way up to where we are now. We went to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, that said, The Lord has said to Abraham, Get thee from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And so, you know, that that ministered to me because, you know, Minister Rick started talking about leaving and cleaving. And God said, get thee from your country. Leave what you know. Leave the floor of this world. Remember the floor of the world Minister Martin was talking about? Leave the floor of this world to a land that I will show you. And that land that he will show you for us is Jesus. The pattern for every man. And when you leave the world, that means you have to cleave to something else. And the cleaving has to be to Jesus. He is the pattern for every man. Leave that way. And he, he's given us a new foothold, a new position. That, that, that land that he will show us is a new position. It's a new place. A place of purpose. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's Christ. And so I had to ask myself, well, why would, why would God call Abraham out like that? And I went on to read in Genesis 18. It said, because for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. Now, when, I, when it says your household after you and your children, I want you to understand, included in that children, husbands, is your wife. You know, there's a reason why wives have to take on your last name. I'm not saying treat her as your children, but that's your seed too. That's your household. And, and, Abraham, and God called him out because he knew he would command his household, his children and his household after him in the ways of the Lord. He said, I know that you would adhere to the call that I've given. So to produce spiritually and emotionally mature believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done. And he told them, because of that, in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And what happened with Abraham? It said, and Abraham believed God and it was kind to him for righteousness. In like manner, if we believed on Jesus, it was counted to us for righteousness. And what do we say in Galatians chapter 3? For you are all children by faith in God and Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to that same promise. And we know that all things work together for the good to the, for them that love God, and to, whom, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he, whom he has known beforehand, he is also predestined to bear the likeness of his son. The pattern for every man. That he might be the eldest or the firstborn in the vast family of brother. And so we looked at that word eldest, firstborn, the elder. And we saw that it means the example, one to learn from, the mentor, the model, the pattern, the father, the patriarch. And if you've been called according to his purpose, then he's called you out of the flow for the of this world. He's called you to a different pattern. Jesus Christ, the pattern for every man. He is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the founder or originator or progenitor of his own race of people. An eternal Father of a new creature, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He leads a whole new order of people. He is the Father of your eternity, or as we've been saying, the captain of your salvation. And we looked in Colossians and we saw the characteristics of Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of God. The firstborn over creation, the creator of the universe, the head of the church. And we saw from Colossians there that he's to be preeminent in all things. And not only that, he's to have preeminence in your life. And once he has preeminence in your life, then you will do the will of the Father. And that makes Jesus Christ your everlasting Father. He makes Jesus Christ your elder. That makes Jesus Christ your pattern, worthy of imitation. And makes Jesus Christ your patriarch, the father of your eternity, because his pattern is the will of the Father. A pattern of obedience, a pattern of service, a pattern of action, which led us to say that success as a male or a father or a husband comes when you realize this one fact. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about service. And Jesus shows us that. And we said that's the issue today. Many men think that it's about them and what they want. And it's about service to them. Because the image of this world has seeped into the, the flow of this world has been so subtle and seeped into the way that we've thought about it. And we think it's about us. But as we've been saying for the past few weeks, being formed first has nothing to do with priority and relationship. It has nothing to do with service to you, but it has everything to do with God's intended position for you. That's what purpose means. If you, if you break down that word purpose, P-U-R means intent, and pose means position. God has an intended position for you. And in this position uh, for the male, it comes responsibility. And like we said before, a godly man is one that knows God's intended position for him and chases after it diligently, continues after it, endures for it. That's what being responsible is. It's fixing your heart and mind on the purpose that God has for you. But, as we see in today's world, many men have been saved. They call themselves, they're baptized or filled with the Spirit, but they don't chase after God's purpose. And what that means is you're ready for heaven, but not necessarily for family. Because there's, there's purpose wrapped around family. There's a call on the family. It's not just to fulfill your needs. There's, there's a call that God has on the family. Like I said, this is why he's called us out of the floor of the world. The flow of the world thinks that the position of the male is superior. They think it's one of power. But it's not about superiority. It's about service. It, the head of the home doesn't mean you have the responsibility to be superior, to be overbearing, to be a dictator in your home. That's, that's, that's not what purpose, that's not responsibility of, of the father. It's to be the first servant to the home. That's your responsibility. Service to your family. Service to purpose. Service to the Lord and approach the family with any other type of attitude than this, than an attitude of service, will cause division in your home. Uh, 
to approach the to approach the family with the ways of this world and the flow of this world will cause division in your home. We saw in Philippians they, they talked about strife and contention and argument and conflict that causes division in your home. Vainglory, self conceit, you know, thinking that you're superior males, it causes division in your home. But in that same passage of scripture, it gives the answer. What did Jesus do? Because Jesus Christ is the pattern. He made of himself no reputation. He emptied himself of himself. Because what do we say? It's not about you. There's a purpose. It's about service. We have to always remember the highest priority is the direction of the home. And if you're not pleased with the direction of your home, then you need to check yourself, Father. Have you become servant? Like we said, remove the beam from your own eye first. Don't, don't blame your wife. Don't blame your children. Don't blame the job. Don't blame any of these outside issues, but start with you. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will, will show you some things that need to be corrected. Because it always starts with you. When judging the condition of your family, make sure there's nothing holding you up from being in the will of God. Because it starts with you. If something's holding you up, the family's going to fall. They're going to fall suit. They're going to follow suit. So you have to give up your life. For that is the pattern of every man. That, that is the pattern for every man. Jesus Christ gave up his life. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm trying to do a quick review as quickly as possible. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 25. And I'll go ahead and read, even if you're not there. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's your pattern, giving your life up. Make of yourself no reputation. And, and listen, loving your wife as Christ loved the church, like we said before, it's a lifetime of work. It's nonstop. You cannot quit. And the, the male, he needs a female who will yield to him and submit to him in this purpose to, to help him. But if she doesn't, that means she's out of control. And what do we say? If you have an out-of-control wife, all that is is evidence that you haven't been loving as Christ loves the church. See, like I said, trust me, the women, we'll, we'll get to the role of the, of the female, but we're talking about the males right now. See, that, that's the thing right there. Quit looking outside of what this is. We're talking about the males. It didn't say Abraham went to say, or God went to Sarah. It said God went to Abraham and said, Get thee out of thy country and away from thy kindred. Because I know you will command your children after. That's the role of the father. That's the role of the patriarch. So we looked at the, the out of control wife, you know, one that does her own thing and is inconsistent in raising the children, talks too much, always in other business, complaining about her husband. To others, every decision he makes, everything he does, tries to manipulate through tears, tries to manipulate by using sex. That's an out-of-control wife. And, and being a tough or overbearing or superior husband, it, it will not correct that. Loving as Christ loves the church will correct that. We're still in Ephesians 5. I'm going to hop back to verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. So if we're to love as Christ loves the church and Christ is the savior of the body, what did we say before? That means Christ is not the dictator of his, or the husband is not the dictator of his wife, but he's the, deliver, the deliverer of his wife. He's the savior of the body. Just as the church is the body of Christ, the wife and the husband have become one flesh. So that's the body of the husband and he's the savior of the body. He's the deliverer. 
And it comes, of course, there is wives that have to, do, have to submit, but like we said before, submission doesn't mean that they're inferior. It means that she recognizes her husband and that he has a position given by God to fulfill purpose. And she will not try to usurp his authority to herself because purpose. So here's the dynamics of the marriage, like we said before. The wife will submit if the husband lays down his life as Christ does for the church. See, the, those are, it's, it's not, no one, not one way and then everything, no, everybody has to do their part. Husband, lay down your life as Christ did for the church and watch your wife submit. You have the purpose to be a husband. Now let's pick up in verse 25 again, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husband, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forward, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might, be pre- that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. See, the purpose of Christ's death was to make the church holy, to set it apart for himself, for his, as his own forever. And he did this by cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And if we're loving as Christ loves the church, we have to do the same things for our families. Uh, and it says, you know, we're talking about, about the wife, you know, washing the wife with the water of the word. But when you do that, guess what, guess what else? It trickles down. It washes your entire family. And washing of the water of water by the word, we said this is counseling your wife with the word of God. Uh, through, through, through teaching it and through, acting, through your actions as well. It can't be in word only. It has to be in deed as well. And in order to do this, males, husbands, fathers, we said that the word of God must first be in you. See, that's your commitment to purpose, putting the word of God in you. That shows that you have a love for your family. You have to be committed to the word of God. It must first be in you. Uh, that's how you start the sanctifying and cleansing process. And what we said was cleansing is getting rid of all those things. Uh, cleansing is getting, away, getting rid of all those, the flow of the world. Sanctifying is adding the pattern for every man. It's putting on Christ. And just like the scripture says, the out of control, just like the church did, the out-of-control wife has spots and wrinkles and blemishes that have to be removed. Just like, just like back in, in Genesis, we saw, that, we saw that God made Adam first and then Eve, and then Adam was responsible for giving Eve the commandments of God. But he, he, he slipped up on his purpose, and he lacked a little bit on his purpose and didn't keep her watch with the word. And what happens when one person, especially the male, doesn't do his part and watches with the word? The next position that God has ordained goes lacking. Just like Eve did. We have to stay with that commandment to keep our families washed with the water of the word. Keep them clean. Keep our, keep our minds set on purpose. Because a male without the knowledge of God's purpose is destined for failure. And he'll take his family with him. Without the knowledge of purpose, you'll never get to be an overcomer. You'll just get by. But that's not what God, God has ordained for us. It's not about barely making it or barely getting by. It's about living. So we said that a man without the knowledge of purpose is frustrated. And we took some time on frustrations and distractions. A little time. We said frustrated is a feeling of distress because of an inability to change, perceive, or achieve something. We said that frustrations prevent, prevent one from progressing and succeeding in purpose. 
because you're distracted. You're not able to focus on purpose. Your mind is preoccupied, inattentive, or you're, or you're worried. And then we also said to remember that the highest priority is the direction of home, and we didn't change anything if we say your highest priority will be the direction of the home. Because if you haven't made God your priority, then his purpose won't be your direction. So you have to make God your priority. But frustrations and distractions, see, that's what, it, that's what, they, that's what they afford you. They, they pull you away from God. And then you don't know how to handle these situations or trials or tribulations when they come your way. So you return to the floor of the world. And when it comes to these things, when you return to the floor of the world, the floor of the world leaves you wide open for attack of the enemy. Uh, see, because submitting to the Lord leaves you protected. But the floor of the world, it leaves you wide open to the attack of the enemy. You see, because you've got to remember, Minister Martin broke this down really well. The floor of the world doesn't necessarily have to be sin, but it can lead you to it. It'll, that's why there's a pattern for every man. God knows the floor of the world that it'll send you to a place that you don't want to be. And if you don't focus on the pattern that he's given us, you'll give in to the frustrations of this world. You'll have frustrations with your children, like we said, and you won't know how to handle them. You'll give, you'll give what God has given you to other people that aren't even equipped for it. You know, like raising your children. Asking other people to do what God has equipped you to do. Allowing them to hang out with whoever they want to. Uh, listen, hanging out with whoever you want to in front of them. That's, that's teaching too. Remember I said it's not only in words, but it's in action. Giving up what God has given you, what God has purposed you, what God has blessed you with. You know, like I said, I gave the example last time. Uh, giving over your, your rights of parent to coaches. Oh, they can teach them discipline. No, you, Father, you need to teach them discipline. Well, what about the teachers in Sunday school? Father, you need to teach them discipline. Uh, you know, one thing that I hate seeing is fathers sending their children or their families to church. And then you're talking about, but they can't teach them discipline. We see them once or twice a week, a few hours. What about all those other hours? And then you wonder why your children are frustrating you because they won't listen to you because you're a hypocrite. You tell them they need this, they need that, but you don't chase after it. Remember, you, you teach them your actions. Causing yourself, start with you. Fathers, males, remove the beam from your eye. The permanent things in your children's lives are learned and receive from you at home. You got to remember those things. I, and when I say that, it brought me, just now, it brought me back to remembrance. I remember Minister, Minister Stinson talked about, I think it was raising children a couple years ago, but you leave an impression, an imprint. Whether it be good or bad, you're going to leave that impression. And we talked about frustrations with your wife. And if you have frustrations with your wife, if she's frustrating you, start with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. He will show you yourself. We talked about doing, you know, because the male thinks he's superior. We, talk, we talked about certain things in the home that we feel only the women should do. You're frustrating her. 
You need to help out with the little things around the house. See, these are the actions of... Do you know there wasn't nothing that, that Christ wouldn't put his hands to when, it's, when it was for purpose? Oh, you don't consider those little things? Those little things are your crossroads. Those, those are your crossroads. Those have everything to do with purpose. Those little things frustrate your wife. Make a big, I said make a big deal out of your wife. You know, you know, there's something that me and my wife do every day. And I'm not saying that you have to do this, but this is something me and my wife do. Every day, even though we work in different places, we have lunch together. Uh, and, and, and I kid you not, every day she has something to say about work. This has happened, that has happened. You know, she needs somebody to, re- to, to tell that to. Oh, I'm just trying to work and get done with my day. Yeah, sometimes it may inconvenience you, but it's purpose. Uh, and guess what? Now, and I say this for her because I feel the same way, I look forward to that little hour a day we get to, with each other. Because in those times, whether we open the Bible or not, purpose is there. Now, I'm not saying... I'm not saying you need to go and have lunch with your wife. That's not feasible for everybody. Me and my wife work pretty close to, to each other. And my, my, my lunch schedule is flexible so I can do that. But, but those are the types of the decisions that you have to make. Uh, listen, I can be inconvenienced for family. I can be inconvenienced for purpose. Uh, that's what brings peace to your home. And what do we say? Peace is conducive for purpose. Then we talk about pleasing your wife romantically, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Touch your wife just the way that Christ has touched your heart. Uh, love as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, that, goes from, that, that goes from being kind and it goes into your bedroom as well. It's all about service. Jesus Christ is the pattern. A lot of men think, especially when it comes to sex, marital sex, you have to say that nowadays. Marital sex, you know, a lot of, a lot of men think that's about them. But let me tell you this, right? Because partly, marital sex partly, and I said this before, it partly exists to prevent adultery. Partly, it, it, it partly, it, it exists to, to pre- prevent adultery. And when we deprive our spouse of the, central of, uh, the sense of sexual devotion or romance, you leave her unprotected. Open to physical and emotional temptations that can leave your marriage vulnerable. to destruction, destructive habits, destructive ways, the flow of this world. Marriage means that our bodies are not claimed by God for the pleasure and service for one another. Uh, males don't forget that. If you're committed to, to, to your wife's pleasure and service, then, then guess what? And not just the wife, but married couples. If you're committed to want each other's pleasure and each other's service, then everybody will, will go to sleep. Never, nobody will go to sleep disappointed. Everybody will be served 
Because in my service to you, I'm served. I'm satisfied. Uh, why? Because it's purpose. Uh, purpose is fulfilling. I want you to understand that. But, see, little things like that, you don't have purpose in your mind, you don't consider little things like that, then you wonder why, well, why is my wife wearing this thing, this, this provocative thing, and she's leaving the house? Why is she showing my goods to somebody else? Now, she's frustrating you, but really, you're frustrating yourself by frustrating her. Then we talked about frustrations with your jobs and your money. And we went to First Timothy. I want to go back there real quick. I want to touch on this again. First Timothy chapter six. I'm still in review. I got a little time, but I got to get moving. First Timothy chapter six. I'm gonna read verse six to ten, and it says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content." But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, will some, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It, it's funny to me because the Bible says those that will be rich pierce themselves through with many sorrows. You know, that will to be rich means that you've replaced your purpose with that. That's what you're coming off of. That's, that's your mode of operation now. Because I want you to understand this. There's nothing wrong with being monetarily wealthy. There isn't. But if you will to be rich, if that's your purpose, then you start making decisions off of, that have eternal consequences with this temporary money. You'll move your family away from God and godly counsel, chasing after the dollar. Uh, you put your children and your wife in the way of ungodly influences that tell them it's all about the dollar. Because that's what's consumed your heart. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And then what did it, what did it say? What verse is that? It says in verse 9, which drown men in destruction and perdition. See, because what did we say the sorrows were? The sorrows were choked the word, right? And it drowns men in sorrows and perdition. What is perdition? Perdition, or the son of perdition, you heard of the son of perdition? That's the son of disobedience. It drowns you in disobedience because the lust of the flesh, the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word. Straight out of you. But he gives the answers to your frustration for your, your monetary frustrations as well. Back in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that contentment, like we said last time, that's sufficiency in Christ. Found only in Christ. Be happy and content with who you are and what you found in Christ. For that is great gain. You may not ever get the house on the hill, but I say a family on purpose... That's great game. Because uh, remember, we've been called to a purpose. To produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's redemptive work done. That's the great game that, that, that God wants you to have. It has nothing to do with your money. Uh, being content means, listen, I can be abased. 
I can abound. I can be full. I can be hungry. See, Paul said this in Philippians. See, that's what being content means. It, it doesn't matter, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, through the pattern for every man, there's your strength. Remember, great gain is not the earthly gain. It's not the earthly gain that secure your wants. It's not money. It's the greatest and truest of riches. And what did we say last week that was? Righteousness. The first fruit. That righteousness means that you're bearing fruit. That means the tree is good and so is the fruit. But again, if you don't receive the word and you allow the sorrows or the thorns of this world to choke it like the deceitfulness of riches, then you'll be unfruitful. You'll be that bad tree with bad fruit, distracted by the cares of this world. You'll have a family full of the people that have, what did I say last week, that, that lottery mentality? Get all I can, can all I get while the getting's good. The easiest, the quickest way. When God tells you he wants you to endure. Uh, endure doesn't mean it's going to be easy and quick. But what, you know what endure does mean? It means at the end, you're going to get great gain. And what you have to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because true righteousness does bring contentment. Uh, what did we say contentment was? Sufficiency in Christ. You have to follow after righteousness. Uh, when you follow after what did it say in Proverbs? Following after righteousness and kindness, it gives you life. And who is life? Christ is life. The pattern for every man is life. And that's what you have to bring to your family. Righteousness, kindness, uh, the ways of Christ, the pattern for every man. That's what your family needs to see. Then we also said that a man without the knowledge of purpose is lazy. And what do we say laziness is? It's a slow and comfortable path to self-destruction. That laziness, that's the wear and tear on the families of today. We talked about, we, we said, let's, let's, let's look at a car, right? We said a car you could total out. You can get in an accident and immediately total out your car. But take a car that hasn't been totaled out. But let's say you don't get the oil changed, you don't get the tune-up, you don't get the tires changed, you don't get them rotated, you don't get it washed or anything like that. That same totaling that happened immediately, over a period of time, it'll happen, it'll happen to your car by you doing absolutely nothing. And that's what laziness affords you. Who needs to wreck their life immediately when all you have to do is absolutely nothing? Oh, and it starts with the male. I promise you, if you have a household or a family that's lazy, start with the father. I promise you, you're going to find something there. And then we looked at Proverbs chapter 26. Let's go there real quick again as well. 26 verse 
15 and 16, I think. Or maybe we just read 16. I don't remember. Let me get there. Proverbs 26. I'm going to read 15 too, because this is good too. 15 and 16. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser than his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Now, I've read those verses in the Message Bible before. And that verse 15 says something to the effect of, you'll put your fork into a pie, but you won't bring it to your mouth. What's the benefit of that? It's because you're slothful. Because you're lazy. And then it says in verse 16, The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. His own conceit, that's pride. And I asked a question last week. I said, well, can a lazy man be, can, can a lazy person be proud? And then I also said there's a statement, poor but proud. Remember when I say poor, I'm not talking about what the world calls wealth. I'm talking about great gain. But we have to remember all things were, were made by him and for him. So we must focus on what he calls riches. And like we said, his riches, his great gain is righteousness. And according to the word, all too frequently a, a reason that a person is poor or lacks righteousness is because he's proud. Because he has pride. And what did it say in James 4? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's, uh, that's the word that the male needs, humility. Remember we said it's not, empty yourself, make of yourself no reputation. See, a humble person not only receives advice or counsel, but they seek it out. That's why God gives grace to the humble, because you knock and he will answer. You seek and he will find. You will find. He has it for you. Are you looking for it? Fathers. The humble, they seek after godly counsel. They listen to the counsel that God gives them. Then they apply the counsel. On the other hand, the, the pride for or conceited, they won't even seek after the advice. And if they do seek after it, they find reasons not to apply it. Uh, this inaction is lazy. That's, laziness is a sign of pride. Or pride is a sign of laziness. You, you make excuses like, uh, you just try to excuse yourself saying things like, you know what, I would do that, but things are just not right for me to do that right now. I don't have the money to do that right now. They use things like their children as excuses. Oh, I can't do this because of my children. I can't make it to get the word because of my children. If I'm going to do this for God, I just need this first. Uh, like we just said, saw in Proverbs, he's wiser in his own eyes. A lazy man, a slugger. Here's the lazy man's wisdom. Pride and excuses. Uh, it's foolishness. But that's the lazy man's wisdom. 
Fathers, males, you're going to have to work. <laughs> you're going to have to dress and keep your family. And again, like I said last week, you know, a lot of people have confusion about works. Because some people try to, you know, they, 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 they try to associate works with salvation. And like I said, we're saved by grace through faith. But remember, there are many that are ready for heaven, but that aren't ready for family. Remember that. See, works enter the picture as a necessary part of the process of growth within God's purpose. Not salvation, but within God's purpose. And laziness plays a part in, in why we don't grow. God expects us to work. We, we grow because of work. By overcoming the world and its cares through the pattern of every man, for every man, through Christ. If we're too lazy to work at overcoming things, though we may be in God's kingdom, we're not going to reap the rewards God promised to us as overcomers. And you're not ready for family. If you're too lazy to work, you're not ready for family. You can write that down. God sets the pattern. He wants his children to grow and wax strong in the spirit. But remember, when he found us, though, we weren't that way. So there is growth required. We have to allow the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to grow into what Christ is. Because remember, he's predestined us to bear the likeness and the image of his Son. Our everlasting Father. Our Elder, the Eldest, the Firstborn. Our Patriarch. And you know, Jesus spoke on laziness too, because we are talking about the, the pattern for every man. But he spoke about laziness too. In Matthew chapter 25. Let's go there real quick. Matthew 25, and I'm going to read verse 19 through 25. And it says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And, and, and I want you to know this is about the stewardship of the talents. Y'all remember that? Okay. So I don't have to give you a background story. I'm just going to keep reading. After a long time, the Lord of those servants come and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought, a, brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee rule over many things. Enter into thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not straw. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thou hast, I'm sorry, lo, there thou hast that that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I would reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges, and then at my coming I should have received mine own usury. And I'm going to stop there. But here's what you have to understand from that passage of Scripture, because this is Jesus, the pattern for every man talking. 
We're all responsible to grow what the Lord has delivered to us. Uh, to be a part of his purpose. See, a good and faithful servant, you know what they do? They produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn get God's work done on the earth. That's being faithful. He's delivered something to you. And he, look, he's expecting a return. Uh, so so how, how do we grow what the Lord has delivered to us? Well, for your wise purse, you love as Christ loved the church. Uh, for your children, you have to remember the children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. Work your family. Don't sit idle and give what belongs to the Lord to the enemy or to the flow of this world. Uh, the fruit of the womb is His reward. And you have fathers just freely, willingly giving it up to the enemy. Uh, but he's delivered them to you. And then you're going to give what's his away to the enemy and to the flow of this world. So, Father, there's some things that you have to work in your family, that you have to teach in your family, to make sure that you're not on that comfortable path to destruction, that lazy path. Number one is you need to teach them the word. Uh, this means when you come to church to get the word, you take it home and regurgitate it to your family, too. Make it to where they can receive it properly and put it to good use. That means, you know, sometimes as soon as service is over, you need to ask your wife and ask your children, what did you learn today? What stood out to you? What did you get from the Word? You know, me and my wife have that conversation after every service. What stood out to you? Because we're not just coming here for face. You have to, you have to learn something. What stood out to you? Listen, ask your children these things. Ask your wife these things. What stood out to you? Uh, what didn't you understand? Uh, that means, you know, instead of movie night sometimes, we need to have a Bible study night with the family. Let's call the family together around his word. Oh, that's what it takes to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers. Uh, give your family assignments off of what's been taught. Hold them accountable for that information. Just as we've been responsible for what the Lord has delivered, you need to make your family responsible for what's been delivered to them. Make the word applicable. Use real life scenarios. Uh, pray with your family, fathers. Uh, you can have your own personal prayer time. That's good. But... Praying with your family, make sure y'all are all on one accord. Pull your family together and let's pray. It gives you an opportunity not only to, to make sure that you're on one accord, but to teach your family how to pray as well. Uh, do you know Jesus did that? He, he taught the disciples how to pray. Uh, and he's the pattern for every man. That's washing them with the water of the word. Uh, teaching the greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by humility. By service. And I'm not going to go here because I'm running out of time, but the scripture reference for that is Matthew 18, verse 1 through 4. Uh, but humility, that means that you're not always right. And when you're wrong, you need to accept correction humbly. That means accept counsel and change. When you accept it and receive it, that means you, you, you take it in and then you change. You've got to show your, your wife and your children that you're not above correction. 
And like I said, you have to accept it. You have to accept correction humbly and willingly. And that means if you're screaming and kicking against that correction, don't let your family see it. Uh, because the way you respond to authority is how they learn to respond to authority. They watch how you respond to it. And if you don't like the way they're responding to your authority, then just watch how you've been responding to it. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Take it to God. Teaching that, that arguments, violence, contention, and strife, they're never God's answers to wrongdoings. Never. It's His mercy and kindness that makes a difference. It's His goodness that touches the heart of men. It's Him giving His life that made you the church. That means if you have the opportunity to argue or, or be contentious in your home, even if you're right, you have to make the conscious decision and every effort to make sure that your, your spirit is right before handling that. Because you can be right all day long, but if your spirit is incorrect, then your response will be incorrect. And then instead of, instead of giving your life for your family, now you're protecting your life and your ego and your reputation at the expense of your family, at the expense of purpose. See, you can still correct, but still be gentle as a lamb. Uh, fierce as a lion, but still gentle as a lamb. Because that's God's fearless love. It's not going to let you stay where you are. But he's going to correct you uh, in love. You have to teach your children and your wife that your words are powerful. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Teach them that their words reveal their true heart. You know, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Clear this up for him, for one. That doesn't mean you can name and claim or decree and declare anything. That means your words are powerful because they show your heart. Uh, and if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart, then you have life. However, if your hearts and your actions and words show that you confess something opposite of Christ, who is life, then death is in the power of your tongue. Teach your family these things. Teach them it's all about the, con the condition of the heart. That's what matters most to God. The condition of your heart. Not the condition of your, your grades, children. Not the condition of your bank accounts. Not, condi not the condition of your prestige on your job. Not how big your house is. Not how much your car costs. It's the condition of your heart. You know, I, I can't count how many people live one way and then try to give God honor because they've received something that everybody's entitled to. For example, I have a friend, well, I say friend, somebody I grew up with in high school <clears throat> who just recently got a house. Now, and, and I found this out through Facebook. I'm not telling him congratulations and everything, but if you look at his Facebook page before all this, he's cursing this, cursing, and he has children. He's cursing this, cursing that, doing what he wants. He's all caught up in the floor of this world. 
But then he got this house, and he's talking about, thank God. God has done this for me. God has done that for me. See, those are the people that honor with their lips, but their heart is far from them. Teaching that God is after the condition of the heart. Stop giving excuses, Father. Start service unto the Lord. Uh, teach him this. As for me and my house, the hill house, uh, and that's just me. Because remember, like I said, your wife's take on your last name. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what you have to be made up with in your mind. <clears throat> but that's a father in action. One who's continuing in the faith. One who's enduring. One who is not lazy. One who diligently chases after the purpose of God for the direction of their home. Amen. We are finished. We will complete this next week. You can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.